ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Damien Carrick here. This is The Law Report. On Tuesday evening Australian time, lawyers for WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange will appear in the High Court in London in what could be a final attempt to stop his extradition to the United States, where he faces espionage charges. The 18 charges, which carry a prison sentence of up to 175 years, relate to the publication back in 2010 of thousands of US diplomatic and military documents, mostly relating to the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. And these documents include the infamous collateral murder video which shows US soldiers fatally shooting 18 civilians from a helicopter in Iraq. London-based Australian barrister Jennifer Robinson is Julian Assange's legal counsel. Jennifer Robinson, where is Julian Assange and how is his health? Julian's health has deteriorated significantly over the years that I've been working with him. He's in a very difficult situation in Belmarsh Prison. It's a high security prison. He's isolated almost all day long on his own. Um, He has been incredibly unwell over the Christmas period, coughing so much that he broke a rib. And we are constantly concerned about his risk of exposure to COVID and and the implications that would have for him because of pre-existing illnesses. The medical evidence before the court and accepted by the British courts is that he suffers a depressive illness He's on the spectrum. He's been diagnosed as being on the autistic spectrum and that if he were to be extradited, the prison conditions, the oppressive prison conditions in the United States and the stress of the extradition would cause him to commit suicide. So I can't underestimate how serious his health situation is, his mental and physical health, both inside prison and the risks that that he faces if he is extradited to the United States. So to remind listeners, he was taken to London's high-security Belmarsh Prison in 2019 after he was expelled from the Ecuadorian embassy where he had taken refuge, I think, back in 2012. He'd sought refuge in the embassy to avoid extradition at that point to Sweden, which wanted to question him about sexual assault investigations, which have subsequently been dropped. Assange feared that if he had gone to Sweden, he would have then been unextradited to the USA. So if you like, he, he broke bail and he, he went into the, the embassy. And then since 2019, when he's been in prison, he has been fighting in the UK courts constantly, uh, attempts by the US to extradite him. Now, there is now a two-day hearing before two judges of the High Court in London. What were the previous legal decisions that have led to this final leave-to-appeal hearing? I know it's a long and convoluted process, but if you can uh, distill it for us. So when Julian was arrested on the US extradition request in 2019, we have been challenging his extradition. Of course, he sought asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy to protect him from this very outcome because he was concerned about US extradition. That came to be. We have been fighting it. And in 2021, we actually won the case. So listeners might remember that a few years ago, we won the case on the grounds of um, the medical evidence that showed that if it extradited to the United States, he will face prison conditions that are so oppressive that because of his mental health situation and his uh, autism diagnosis, he would be caused to commit suicide by the circumstances and the prison conditions he'd be facing. In this jurisdiction, 
Uh, the judge found that that barred his extradition under Section 91 of the Extradition Act, saying it's oppressive to extradite someone to those circumstances where it would cause his suicide. That is the accepted medical evidence. What happened after that was that the United States chose to shift the goalposts. They didn't like the outcome and they said, well, actually, we're going to give you a conditional assurance that we won't put him in those prison conditions unless he does something in the future to justify it. And it's worth breaking that down. So what happened, we did not get a chance to test the US assurances before the court because they offered them after the evidential hearing. And as Amnesty says, these assurances aren't worth the paper that they're written on. So the courts then said, well, okay, well, we accept the medical evidence. If he's put under those prison conditions, he will be caused to commit suicide. That is oppressive. We couldn't extradite him in those circumstances. But now the US has given us assurance, we're going to waive this through. Obviously, we were outraged by that and sought leave to appeal, saying you can't extradite through diplomacy. We need a hearing to be able to test those conditional assurances and show, as Amnesty said, they're not worth the paper they're written on, but we were refused. And so the US won the appeal by offering that assurance and the British Home Secretary ordered his extradition. So in this current hearing before the High Court, what are you focusing on? After the US won the appeal... In those very questionable circumstances, we had to re-enliven all of our grounds of appeal that had been lost before the magistrate. So we only won on that one narrow point that the US appealed and won. So we had to go back and revisit all of our appeal grounds. So in this hearing, there are a number of grounds of appeal which challenge the decision to extradite, including all of our arguments about this is a, a grave violation of free speech, that Julian will not get a fair hearing if he's extradited to the United States because he'll be put on trial in the Eastern District of Virginia, because of the very public statements by the president, by the head of the CIA that have undermined his right to be presumed innocent. And the idea there being that the the, the working population in that East Virginia is largely government and government contractors, and they'd be highly influenced by statements by US president and CIA and other government officials. Precisely. So the Eastern District of Virginia is an area where many of the government departments are located and the population is drawn from former government contractors, intelligence agents, etc. There's also a number, a range of other points around free fair trial. The, the fact that Chelsea Manning was subjected to inhuman and degrading treatment and the use of evidence from Chelsea Manning's proceedings, the fact that Julian's lawyers, myself, and the rest of our legal team has been unlawfully spied on, that Julian's legally privileged material has been seized by the US government. We have a range of points about the very serious concerns about his ability to get a fair trial in the United States. And just to remind listeners, Chelsea Manning is the the US soldier who provided the material to WikiLeaks. They've spent seven years in jail before they were granted a pardon by the Obama administration on its way out. And I think one of the main arguments is that uh, he should not be extradited or nobody should be extradited for political opinions or exposing state criminality. And for you, that that's a central point. It is. So we argue that Julian should not be extradited because the request is being made by the United States to prosecute him or punish him for his political opinions. We say he's being prosecuted for exposing US government criminality, including what we know from the WikiLeaks publications, war crimes and torture. And we had extensive evidence in the evidential hearing before the district judge about this, including about Julian's opinion, political opinions on the importance of transparency and in being able to hold governments account to deter future abuses. We say extradition for political offences is not permitted under the Extradition Act, and we say that the judge ought to have barred his extradition on that basis. 
And we can't really go into it in great detail, but of course the USA would argue that what Julian Assange did wasn't journalism, it was irresponsible mass data dump that put people's lives at risk. And he wasn't a publisher who just handled information or was handed information. Assange guided Chelsea Manning, the soldier who supplied the information, in how to send that classified information. So he's an active person, not just a kind of a passive recipient as a journalist normally is. Well, there's so many problems with those statements and the US government position. The first is that journalists all day, every day deal with sources and provide sources guidance on how to send information or the safest way to send information to them. So that uh, the nature of that allegation, as Alan Rusbridge, the editor of The Guardian, has even said, is even if that were true, he would be doing what journalists do all day, every day. So it is, in fact, criminalising journalism. And this is why you have the Washington Post, the New York Times coming out saying this indictment is criminalising public interest journalism practices. Julian received and published information from a source just like the New York Times does every day. That's why they call it the New York Times problem. By prosecuting Julian, they're creating a problem for the New York Times because this will apply to all other journalists. To say that Julian just dumped this material online is just factually incorrect. We know that WikiLeaks worked together with media partners around the world to redact the materials carefully and publish it in partnership with more than 100 newspapers around the world. So to say that it was just dumped out there is factually incorrect. And there was a lot of evidence before the court about this. So Julian is a recognised journalist. He is a member of the Australian Media Union. He is a recognised journalist by the International Federation of Journalists. And the conduct that he engaged in is journalistic activity, which is what he's being prosecuted for. And that's why you've got newspapers, free speech organisations, all saying that this indictment is dangerous and the case should be dropped. And what about the allegation that he put people's lives at risk? Even on the US government's own case, in the evidence put before the court in the UK, they did not point to one person who was physically harmed as a result of these publications, not one. And what are the other grounds of, of appeal? Well, connected to the points that I've just made about the engagement in journalistic activity and the importance of free speech protections for journalism, we've got a range of grounds that relate to free speech. So not just that this indictment itself is a grave interference with the right to free speech under the European Convention on Human Rights and indeed we say the First Amendment, but that the US is even arguing that because Julian is an Australian citizen that the First Amendment free speech protections won't apply to him at all. And that's a really dangerous position to be taking because in this case what we're seeing is the US is setting a precedent to say, well, we will exercise jurisdiction, extraterritorial criminal jurisdiction over any journalist anywhere in the world who publishes truthful information about the United States. So if you publish national defence information about the US anywhere in the world, you could be sought for prosecution and be extradited to the United States for criminal prosecution. And when you get there, because you're a foreigner, you will not benefit from free speech protections under our constitution. That is a really dangerous argument, but that's the one they're running in this case, and we say he shouldn't be extradited to face that kind of prospect. We also say, related to the free speech point, is that this is the first time in history a publisher has been prosecuted under the Espionage Act. It is not the purpose for which that legislation was enacted back in 1918. So this is an antiquated piece of legislation that was put in place in order to be able to prosecute spies, and now we're seeing it applied to a publisher which crosses a legal threshold, which we say breaks an unbroken practice of the non-prosecution of publishers for publishing government information. And that to us is, this is an unforeseeable and unknown and new application of the law that he should not be subjected to. Okay, so they're the grounds of appeal. 
and you are seeking leave to appeal before two justices of, of the High Court in London. What's going to happen? I mean, you want them to give you leave to appeal. That will open up another legal avenue? Yes, if we are given permission to appeal on any one or a number of grounds, then a hearing date will be set in the future where we'll have a fully contested hearing about those particular arguments. It effectively means that we would be in the same legal process that we've seen since the US sought to appeal when we won the decision in 2021. So it could take a number of years for this to be resolved in the British courts. If we lose, there is no further appeal. So if the judges come back and say, we are not giving you permission on any of these grounds, that's Julian's final appeal in the United Kingdom and we have we cannot go any higher. That's it. It is over in the UK. Our only then protection or potential protection to stop him from being extradited is to make an application for provisional measures to the European Court of Human Rights. That's under Rule 39 and that would allow the European Court to make an order to say to the UK, you can't extradite him until we've made a determination about his rights under the European Convention on Human Rights. But this is a very exceptional measure. So in Last year, 63 applications were made for provisional measures in cases involving deportation of extradition or extradition, and in only one of those cases was provisional measures granted. So our final line of appeal to the European Court is not guaranteed. It is an exceptional and rare measure. You're listening to The Law Report on ABC Radio National. My guest today is Jennifer Robinson, legal counsel for Julian Assange, who is in the High Court in London seeking to uh, stop his extradition to the USA. Jen Robinson, in November last year, the Supreme Court, the highest court in the UK, handed down a very important decision which prevents the UK government from sending asylum seekers to Rwanda. They wanted to introduce Australian-style offshore processing. What bearing does that ruling have on the Assange case? This case is relevant because it's sparked an entire debate in the UK about the role of the European Court of Human Rights. So when the UK sought to implement this policy of sending asylum seekers to Rwanda, as you quite rightly point out, implementing Australian-style asylum seeker policies. Because we have access to a human rights court in this country that we do not have in Australia, lawyer, my colleagues uh, sought an order from the European Court to prevent the asylum seekers being removed to Rwanda, saying it's unsafe for the, for the UK government to do that. And the European Court stepped in and said, we agree with you. So provisional measures were ordered, and it caused a huge political controversy here where you've got Conservative members of Parliament and the Conservative government saying, uh, why should we have to comply with the European Court where, you know, we've left the EU, Brexit has happened, why are we allowing a European Court tell us what we can and can't do? And so it's created a real political debate around whether the UK should remain in the jurisdiction of the European Court of Human Rights and about the court's use of its provisional measures jurisdiction. So that because this has become such a controversy in the UK, we've then seen the UK tried to legislate around it. The Supreme Court then uh, determined that case and, and agreed with the challenge so asylum seekers will not be sent. But the European Court's role in all of this became very controversial and continues to be a matter of political debate here. So you have many in Parliament who are saying we should come out of Europe and we shouldn't even have to comply with these decisions. So in this political context, it's not a happy time for us to be applying to the European Court because there's so much political opposition to the role of the European Court. Is the logic that the UK Supreme Court found that judges have a positive duty to determine whether a country is safe 
for deportation rather than simply taking the word of ministers for it. So you don't rely on the faith of the UK government in assurances provided by the Rwanda government that the rights of asylum seekers will be upheld. The court found, the Supreme Court of the UK, the the highest court in the land, found that it was not safe to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda. So applying that logic to the Assange case, should judges be making their own determination about prison conditions in the USA and not rely on the UK's faith in undertakings given to it by the US government about Assange's conditions? Is that what we're talking about here? I completely agree with you, but unfortunately we tried to take that case to the Supreme Court and we were refused permission. We tried to, after the US won their appeal last year, on the grounds that, well, don't worry, we'll offer you an assurance about prison conditions. Yes, the, the medical evidence may be that he'll he'll be caused to commit suicide because of the oppressive nature of our prison conditions, but don't worry, we'll give an assurance. That was accepted by the courts and we sought leave to appeal to the Supreme Court to have exactly that fight before the Rwanda case came before the court. And the Supreme Court refused to hear us. So this appeal has nothing to do with our appeal now. Our grounds don't relate to that because we weren't given permission. You know, that was that's already been determined. The Supreme Court didn't want to hear it. But I agree with you. In principle, judges absolutely should be determining this. We absolutely should have had an opportunity to test those US assurances before a court in an evidential hearing so the judges could form their own view and not simply rely on a diplomatic assurance about whether or not the prison conditions Julian faces are safe. And I think it's important for listeners to remember, in accepting that conditional assurance, what that means is when Julian, if he is extradited to the United States, the US said, don't worry, we're not going to put him in these prison conditions, unless he does something to justify it. Do you know who determines when he would be placed under those prison conditions? Is the intelligence services. And we know, and we'll be putting evidence before the court in this hearing, that the CIA plotted to plan and kill Julian Assange. So we are in a situation where an Australian citizen is going to be extradited to the United States to prison conditions which the medical evidence shows could cause his suicide. And the people that decide are the very intelligence agencies that wanted to kill him. And we have no ability to judicially review that decision. If he's in a US prison and they decide to put him under SAMS, which are the prison conditions, special administrative measures, we don't have any ability to effectively judicially review that decision. But that's that's, that's the prospect he faces. I should point out that the um, US government has always strenuously denied that there was any plot to kidnap or or kill uh, Julian Assange. Let me just say, it is supported by 35 different internal government sources who who spoke to the journalists who who reported that story. And Mike Pompeo then, in fact, threatened to prosecute those who had disclosed that information to to journalists because it was classified. So the existence of the plot is very well documented. So when do you expect the judges of the High Court to deliver their ruling on whether or not to grant leave to appeal? The judges could very well decide uh, at the conclusion of the hearing and make their judgment public about whether they're granting permission to appeal or not. Given that it's a two-day hearing, as lawyers, we'd often expect that judges would reserve their decision and come back at a later date with a, a written reasoned judgment. But in these cases, judges do often announce what their decision is and that written re- reasons will follow. So we could be in a situation where they announce that, that permission is denied on all grounds and the Home Secretary could then order his extradition. So we really don't know what will happen at the end of that two-day hearing. No. Can we move away from court processes to what decisions politicians can take? 
Now, the Australian Parliament has just passed a motion, 86 votes to 42, calling for the US to drop the prosecution and to allow Assange to return to Australia. Prime Minister Albanese you know, was one of the, those who voted uh, for this motion and he said repeatedly, enough is enough. How important, how important is that motion of the Parliament and what more would you call on Australia to do? This is an unprecedented demonstration of political support for Julian Assange and for our campaign to bring Julian home to Australia. I am very grateful to the Prime Minister and the government for their support for the resolution and to Andrew Wilkie for tabling it. We have been working for over a decade, I've been going to Parliament to meet with members of Parliament, including Anthony Albanese when he was a Cabinet Minister in previous Labor governments. And it's really under his leadership, both as leader of the Labor Party in opposition and now as Prime Minister, that have moved Australia to the position of enough is enough and this case needs to come to an end. So I want to pay tribute to the Prime Minister for his leadership and his principled leadership on this. We are continuing to work with the Australian government to try to get a resolution. It has always been our position that this case is a political case and it requires a political resolution, which is to negotiate Julian's ability to return home. We want the US government to drop the charges This case should never have been brought. It is a dangerous precedent for American journalists, for the American First Amendment and and for the Constitution, and for what it means for this Australian citizen. And the treatment that he has suffered, we call it punishment by process. He has been through so much over the past 13 years. He's already been in a high-security prison for five and a half years, uh, coming on six years. I think it's time, and it's beyond time. So... I would like to see the Australian government making very firm representations to the US about why this needs to be resolved. I refer people to the example of David Hicks. This is an Australian citizen who was accused of terrorism offences and was in Guantanamo Bay. And Prime Minister John Howard was able to negotiate his return to Australia. So we have precedents where Australia has been able to negotiate the return of Australian citizens when it's in their political interests. This is a domestic political issue for Australia. The resolution in Parliament and the majority support for it, two-thirds of Parliament supporting it, shows that this is a domestic uh, political issue and the American government needs to listen to the Australian people and to the Australian Parliament. If we can negotiate the return of an alleged terrorist from Guantanamo Bay, how can we not negotiate the return of an award-winning publisher who won the Walkley Award for Most Outstanding Contribution for the very publications for which they're seeking to prosecute him. If we can't bring him home in these circumstances, then it's, there's real questions about our special relationship. Anthony Albanese was able to re- negotiate the return of Cheng Li from China, who was facing espionage charges. If we can do it with China, then we can do it with our friend the US. Let's turn to the USA. The Biden administration has pressing ahead with attempts to secure Assange's extradition. Last year, there was a really interesting article written by ANU professor, he's a respected international lawyer, ANU professor Don Rothwell, and he said that because US authorities are pursuing Trump for mishandling confidential documents, it can't be seen to be going soft on Julian Assange over charges also under the Espionage Act. Because, you know, it is alleged that uh, he released uh, classified files and and diplomatic cables, um, that both prosecutions are under the Espionage Act. That's the real politic here, isn't it? Well, these cases are very different. I think there is a very worrying trend towards the use of the Espionage Act in the in the US. And it's not, I mean, it was utilised against Biden as well. So we've seen Espionage Act cases threatened against Biden, against Trump. Uh, and so the use of this act is is the increasing use of this antiquated act, I think, is really concerning. But this is a different case. Julian is not an American citizen. He was acting 
as a publisher, as a journalist who was engaging in journalistic activity to receive and publish information from the United States of which, you know, US government information. Journalists do that all day, every day. So this is not, you can't compare his case with Trump's. This is about public US public officials and their handling of classified information. This is about a journalist and a publisher. It's completely different. But realistically, given the politics of the United States and the impending election and the perception that uh, nobody wants to be seen to be going soft on somebody like Julian Assange, that's the reality you're dealing with, isn't it? I mean, this is the political situation in which we're operating, but there's also other ways of looking at it. If Julian Assange is extradited to the United States, in an election year, the US is going to have the most high-profile criminal prosecution of a journalist and a publisher on their doorstep in the context of an election where the entire media space is against it. You will have the New York Times, the Washington Post out con- very concerned about this, saying that this this prosecution is criminalising public interest journalistic practices. This is not a trial I would want to have in an election year in the United States. There will be arguments about the conduct of the United States. There will be arguments about the First Amendment. There will be arguments about what this means for the rest of the media. This is not a prosecution that politically I think any administration would want to be having in an election year. Let's now turn finally to the position of the UK government. It is they have said this is a matter for the courts and, you know, the Americans are coming and asking for for this extradition. What is your view? Can the UK government make decisions which might lead to a resolution of this case? The nature of extradition requests and the structure of the Extradition Act makes it there is effectively very little political discretion left to the UK government in extradition cases. Historically, there used to be a provision in the Extradition Act where the Home Secretary could block an extradition where there were serious human rights concerns in the case. So after it had been through the courts and the courts had ordered um, extradition, the Home Secretary could still, still had the power to step in and exercise discretion where there were significant human rights concerns. And we saw Theresa May exercise that power in the case of Gary McKinnon, a young autistic hacker who was facing extradition to to the United States. Since then, that power has been removed. So there's very little political discretion in the UK around this case. It is really about what happens in the courts. Um, and so we are doing everything we can to, to utilise every legal avenue available to us to protect Julian from extradition. But the real game is in the United States because even if we were to win the extradition case here, we would only be protecting Julian from extradition from the UK. The moment he got on a plane and went to another country, he could still be pursued by the United States government. That's why we want this case to be resolved and resolved in the United States and it's why we've been asking for the Australian government's help and support to get that resolution. One final question and I want to come full circle the documents for which Julian Assange is being prosecuted include the famous, infamous collateral murder video which shows US soldiers fatally shooting 18 civilians from a helicopter in Iraq. No charges were ever laid around those deaths. And I'm wondering if you can reflect on that state of affairs. It is absurd in our democracies that the person who revealed evidence of war crimes is in prison for having revealed those war crimes and publishing information about those war crimes, but those responsible for those war crimes are not being prosecuted. This is an Australian citizen who has won journalism awards the world over, including the the Walkley Award, 
also the Sydney Peace Prize for these publications because of what he did in holding governments to account for human rights abuse. And yet those who are responsible for the human rights abuse are not in prison, but he is. It is absurd. History will look back on this time, and I've said this over and over, history will reflect very poorly on the fact that we allowed Julian Assange, our societies, the US, the UK, Australia, democratic societies who purport to bring democracy to the world, who purport to talk about free speech and democracy to authoritarian regimes, that we had Julian Assange in prison for this long. So it is time to get him out and it is time to bring him home. And I don't want to spend the next 15 years of my career fighting for this. London-based Australian barrister Jennifer Robinson, part of Assange's legal team. Thank you for speaking to The Law Report. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. Now, to make sure you don't miss any episodes, do follow The Law Report on the wonderful ABC Listen app. And if you access the podcast via other platforms, please do leave us a review. It helps others find us. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more law. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.